I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. 
You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ed. So uh, last week, we began a series entitled Defining Our Terms. And in this series, we are a bit boldly claiming that we, the Kingstown Communion, are evangelical, liturgical, orthodox, liberal, Wesleyan, Catholic, Bible-based, and spirit-filled. All of these together, all of these together, that these terms don't have to contradict one another, but rather they inform one another as we seek to be the church of Jesus Christ for the world. And so last week we dug into the first and maybe most controversial word. Somebody came up to me at the beginning of service and said that they were trying to embody that revangelicalness throughout the week and then they're like and then I had to stop saying it just because it made, it's so controversial I don't think people want to know that I'm I'm going to be a revangelical so they're not really sure but hey that's okay um, we, we talked about this word evangelical and I urge you to go back and listen to the podcast if you didn't because it does inform the one the service the sermon today last week we reclaimed this word explaining that long before it was ever hijacked for a political gain this identity as evangelical really just meant four things. It meant one, you had this importance of scripture, that scripture to you was imperative for our faith, and it informs our life, and we believe we can grow by reading scripture. We grow as Christians by reading scripture. That was number one. Number two, they believed that in the centrality of Jesus Christ, that he died and he rose and will come again to redeem and reconcile all of creation. Number three, that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus is good enough news to tell other people about. That this is, this is good news to share with other people. That you don't hide your light under a bushel. <laughs> and number four, that a Christian life is embodied in living mercy, loving mercy and doing justice and working to bring God's kingdom to earth. Those are the four things they were originally known for. And what we said is... If this is what an evangelical is, who wouldn't want to be one? We are revangelicals, and we rec reclaim the evangelical zeal of the early apostles and the reformers of our faith. We said these four things we can get on board with. Like, I can get on board with those four things. Can you all get on board with those four things, generally speaking? Yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> but take a second and think about that list for just take a second and think about the list. What is missing from that list? I wonder if you notice in that list those four things. Scripture, Jesus, 
the good news worth sharing and loving justice and loving mercy. I wonder if you notice what's missing. I wonder if you notice how non-existent the church is in the evangelical creed. Notice that? I wonder if you notice how non-existent community and corporate gathering and public worship and proclamation are in this evangelical four-part creed. I mean, if you live out your evangelical zeal and never step foot in a church, you're evangelical. You could do it. You could totally live out your evangelical zeal and never step foot in a community like this. Or you could slip anonymously onto the back row at some mega church with the lights down low, get your Jesus, get fed, and then you could head on home and no one would ever know you were there. And you'd be evangelical, right? You can read and you can value scripture from the comforts of your own lazy boy. You can believe in the centrality of Jesus Christ down deep in your heart. You can share the good news with an unsuspecting stranger on some flight to Houston. <laughs> you can join in community service at an event on maybe MLK Day where everybody's serving everywhere in your community. Or you could donate to a nonprofit of some kind working for justice and you can be evangelical in its truest sense and never become a part of a particular community of faith. You can love God, you can believe in Jesus with all your heart and be nice to your neighbor and avoid altogether institutional religion. Jesus can be your best friend or your boyfriend, and you don't have to be accountable to or responsible for a church and its work and its people. Thank God for being rid of religion. It's always so messy anyways, right? And they're always asking you for money. So today's scripture in Matthew is a little ways into the best sermon Jesus ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount. A few verses earlier, Jesus kicks it off with the Beatitudes. We love the Beatitudes. Blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who thirst. And then he follows that up with this famous bit about being salt and light. Don't lose your saltiness. It's you. It's you who's supposed to be flavor for the world. And don't allow your light to go out. Don't hide your light under a bushel, like the evangelicals would say. Keep shining it. Get that light out from under the bushel. Be salt and light in the world. So far, so good. No wonder people are sticking around for this sermon. No wonder it's the best sermon ever told. Others are starting to gather in on the mountain to hear this good news that is worth sharing. He sucks us in with the Beatitudes and the salt and the light. You have to think of this as a sermon. We normally read these all apart, but think of this was just one strung together sermon. He sucked you in at the beginning with the Beatitudes and then he sucked you in again with the salt and light. And then did you hear what comes next? Did you hear the reading today? He sucks us into this pep talk of evangelical zeal of loving mercy and doing justice and sharing the good news of Jesus, and then it feels like he's done a little bit of a bait and switch here. Suddenly he's gone Old Testament on us. Jesus changes. 
It sounds like Jesus is announcing a time when we don't need to be religious anymore. We can throw out religion and religiosity and just get on with life and bless people and be salt and light to everyone around us. And then Jesus starts bringing up the Old Testament and turning up the knob of religiosity. Now you've heard it said. Anytime you hear Jesus say, now you've heard it said, he's talking about the faith of old. Now you've heard it said, don't murder. Okay. But I say to you that if you're angry in your heart, you're liable to judgment. How are you doing now? And you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Okay. But I, I say to you that if you lust, you've already done it. How are you doing now? <laughs> Jesus comes with this exuberant, zealous, evangelical proclamation of the good news. And then instead of wiping out religion and freeing us from all of those religious bindings, he turns up the knob and demands deeper religiosity from us. Hey, evangelicals, you've heard it said. Read your Bible. Believe in Jesus. Share the good news. Do good. But I say to you, unless this is informed by the work of God's people and community, you will perish. I had a professor in undergrad who I would say was a rare breed at a liberal arts college. I would say he was probably a fundamentalist Christian. I'm, I'm guessing that. Certainly very, very, very conservative. And his favorite mantra he would often say in this undergrad, undergrad intro to New Testament, this was an elective I decided to take in the religious studies department, um, was Jesus is all about relationship and not about religion. He hung his New Testament lectures on this. Jesus is about relationship, not about religion. And so anything that smacked of religiosity to him seemed to him to be antithetical to the person of Jesus Christ. For him, expressions of faith like Judaism, or Roman Catholicism, or Anglicanism, the main problem was that they were still hung up in this archaic, old world style of religiosity. And he said that the good news is that Jesus has freed us from needing religion and has opened up all of us to being in relationship with God and one another. Have you heard arguments like this before? Perhaps you're nervously nodding as you know that you kind of believe these words and you're wondering where I'm going with this. <laughs> so one day, Old Dominion University sponsors this dialogue, one of those interfaith dialogues um, mo uh, moderated by President Runta of the university. Um, it's interfaith panel discussion and there was my New Testament professor on the panel and also a local rabbi and others. And the topic was something like religion today. And my professor kicked it off by saying, I'm not really the right person to invite to this dialogue. He said, I'm not the right person to be on this panel because I'm a Christian. And so as a Christian, I should really not know anything about religion at all. I've been freed up for relationship. And having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ I no longer have a need for religiosity. He said a bit patronizingly. <laughs> I'll have to yield my time on the floor to those here who specialize in religion. And then he sat down. 
And no one happened to bring up that he taught in the religious studies department. <laughs> so as he sat down, there was kind of an awkward silence, and then the rabbi stood up. And he made his way to the microphone, and he said, you know, I envy, I envy your ability to, to cut to the heart of relationships. But in my community, we think that our relationship with God and each other is so important that we attend to them religiously. And I swear, being in that room, it felt like we were standing, listening to the Sermon on the Mount. It felt like we were standing on that mountain in Galilee, and Jesus had shown up all over again in flesh and in a little rabbi. And he also, again, once again, started chastising a community that seeks to neglect relationship by neglecting religion. You've heard it said that all you have to do is read the Bible and believe in Jesus and love your neighbor, and you will know the kingdom of God. But I say to you that evangelical zeal without liturgical life and a community of faith will rip you apart. When you hear the word liturgical, you should hear liturgy, which is derived from these Greek words people and work. And we in the church define this as the church's public, corporate worship of God. Liturgy, then, is what we do in the church, collectively. It's our job as Christians. This is our job. We bear this. This is employment for us. Not just for me, for you all, too. Because you all respond to me. If I were to read the part that's not bolded, and then there was no one here to read the bolded part, that would be lackluster worship. <laughs> From the moment we walk in the door, our call to worship, our hymns, our readings, our interpretation, in community, our sitting and standing and kneeling and bowing and crossing ourselves at the right times in certain traditions, our prayers, our sacraments, our weekly community and baptismal renewal, our creeds, our confessions are all a part of that work. This is the holy work of engaging with ourselves and one another and with God in a liturgical, a work of the people event here and now. And if we're honest, when we hear liturgy, we hear religion. I don't know why, but we do. When we hear liturgy, we picture religion with all of its bindings, with all of its bindings, with all of its rituals, with all of its rote sayings, with all of its tradition. For some of us, that's comforting. And for some of us, we distance ourselves from it because we have come to believe that Jesus is all about relationship and not about religion. But here at Kingstown, we are, liturg we are liturgical and we are religious. You can say you're a religious person if someone asks you that question. This whole phrase that I'm spiritual but I'm not religious makes no sense if you keep showing up here. If you want that phrase, great, but don't come anymore. If you like your religion, if you like your, your, your religion moderate, if you like everything to be kind of even keeled, you probably won't want to be hanging out with Jesus. If your whole reason for coming to church occasionally is to inject some kind of tranquility and peace and joy into your personal faith, don't hang out with Jesus. Jesus has this way of forcing us into becoming religious zealots sold out religiously for the work of God's people. 
If we're honest, when we think of liturgy, we think of religion, and the root word of religion is ligio. It's the same word we use for the word ligament. Our religion is that which helps life hold together. The faith of Jesus Christ proclaims that our world is falling apart around us. It's in need of something that will hold it together. That anger you feel leads to murder and relationships are broken. That lust you feel leads to adultery and households are torn apart. That relationship you're in begins with a little tiny fracture and then unattended the fracture grows and divorce happens. And it's like our ligaments are failing. Our ligaments are falling apart. And the religion, the religio of Jesus, is all about the work of God's people, the liturgical life of God's people flowing out into the world until broken relationships are mended and held back together again. So when we get to the heart of this Sermon on the Mount, after Jesus tells us what God's doing, blessing the week in the morning, right? After Jesus then says who God's doing it with, you, you, salt and light, then we get to how God bringing it about. It's not by making us less religious and more zealous, not by combining our, our evangelical zeal with, with our, our personal profession of faith, but by combining that zeal with a public profession and a work of a religious community, by making us religious zealots altogether, following zealously this one that can help us hold things together in our own lives and in the life of the world. But Jesus does say in our text today that this work, this liturgy, does begin in the heart. Do you notice how Jesus moves from like the external to, to the internal, from the corporate to the personal? Murder goes to anger. Adultery goes to lust. You see the movement, that movement begins in the heart of God, which breaks every time creation starts to tear apart. Whenever there's murder, God's heart breaks. Whenever murder finds its seed in anger in people just like you, God's heart breaks. Whenever families are torn apart, God's heart breaks. Whenever creation becomes an object to be used rather than be adored, God's heart breaks. Anytime creation loses its ligaments, it's not held together anymore, rejects this religio, and it's pulled apart, God's heart breaks. And in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is raising up a community, a religious, liturgical community who will embody God's will on earth so that relationships are put back together. My professor had that much right. It is all about relationships, all of it. The community of Jesus Christ seeks to hold those relationships together like ligaments, turning God's creation right side up. One of the ways you know that Jesus is showing up is that people are, are, are becoming not just zealous, but also religious. But religiously zealous, working together around a common goal. Has anyone ever heard of divorce care? 
Divorce care, Stephanie, it, it started because of a horrible, broken, messy divorce. The founder of divorce care saw his family and felt his heart rent asunder. It was pulled apart. Until finally, when he came out of the other side of of it still standing, he decided that he would spend the rest of his life zealously helping other people who found themselves caught in the hell of divorce. And divorce care was born out of that. And the people who join these groups are not just people looking for some tranquility and peace in their lives. Divorce care is religiously about classes and curriculum and support groups with a, a very particular liturgy and a work of a people together in a common journey helping people through the worst time in their lives. Have you ever met someone from AA? They bound, they have bound with zeal over the program, but they have learned to be religious about showing up. They have to be religious zealots in this program, bound by a common liturgy, working together with others as their lives are being put back together again. They have to attend to it religiously, going to meetings every single day. They follow a liturgy of asking forgiveness from those who have ripped, they've ripped apart in the past because of their addiction. They, they liturgically confess their sins and feast with other sinners. Jesus showing up and piecing things back together again religiously in their lives. Jesus has the way of stirring us up, not just to have evangelical zeal but to live out liturgically, religiously together, passionately putting the world back together again. And this greatest story, this greatest sermon Jesus ever told, he starts with the blessed are you who mourn. He follows that up with you are to be salt and light. He then follows it up with all of this religion. And then he says, you're going to fail at that. You're going to fail at it. But let me teach you something that you can do together. And I promise every time you do it, it will be like your, your, your heart has been stirred and you will be put back together again. He didn't teach a prayer that said, my father. He taught a prayer that said, our father. Directly after this scripture, Jesus introduces to the people a liturgy we will use for the next 2,000 years. Something we pray together every time we are in this place. Something we do together. Because you're going to fail at this. And when you pray at home in your prayer closet after you read your Bible and you had Jesus in your heart. When you pray at home, my Father. It doesn't have nearly as much meaning as when you gather here. Religiously together. To pray the our Father. He taught it, wrote it from the beginning to be something we do together. So would you pray with me? God, we, your people, gather today. Honestly, we are consumed by the things going on in our own lives. We all are. Many of our minds drifted off to our grocery lists and our plans after worship and that one problem in our lives currently, whether relationally or financially or, or, or health-wise, that is just eating away at us. And we could just go home and read our Bibles and, 
and love you in our hearts, but we know we will perish. We know that without coming together to join in together in this work that you were doing here, to pray the prayers that you, you taught us to pray, to sing the hymns that people have been singing long before we, we thought we had our lives together and long before our lives fell apart. And this is good news for us to be a part of this great cloud of witnesses, of people who came before us and people that will come after us, that will participate in this glorious religion that is somehow held together for all this time. And that can be, if presented in love and light and grace, something that holds together the whole world and holds together our lives too. We want to be a part of this liturgy, Jesus. And so we pray together that prayer that can only be prayed in community. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.